1: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: Hello and welcome to Breaking Down, a podcast looking back at Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga from a literary perspective. I'm your host, Nathan. Join me each week as we dive deep with a chapter by chapter analysis, starting where it all began with Twilight. So, before we sink our teeth into the first chapter, sorry about that, I just wanted to give you a bit of a rundown on my history with the Twilight books. So, I read The Twilight Saga, as we call it Even though I doubt that we could Actually define it as a saga I read them in high school When they were already becoming a bit of a phenomenon But before the movies had come out And before the release of Breaking Dawn So your boy was kind of cutting edge I actually read each book In the series twice I knew they weren't amazing pieces of literature But they were a bit of a Guilty pleasure for me But like I mean that literally Like I actually felt guilty when I read them Then after high school, I went and got an English literature degree and pretended that I've never read Twilight. Um, I remember people in my uni course would discuss Twilight and I'd be like, oh, who would ever read them? Um, That was obviously just me being a bit of an English lit snob. Uh, And so with this podcast, I really want to look back at the books with fresh eyes and see if there is any literary merit to them, apart from them being entertaining as all hell, um, because they obviously are entertaining. It's been 15 years since Twilight came out. Does it still hold up? It'll be interesting to see. We'll be covering a chapter a week, so I would really encourage you to read along with me and let me know your thoughts. You can tweet us at @podbreakingdown on Twitter or email your thoughts to breakingdownpod at gmail.com. All right, let's get into it. First off, we start with a dedication for my big sister Emily, without whose enthusiasm this story might be unfinished. Wow, Emily. You've got a lot to answer for. So we start with an epigraph, so you know it's going to be high literature. Obviously, all fancy books start with an epigraph. That's what I learned during my English literature degree. So this is a Bible verse, Genesis two seventeen. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Okay, so that certainly positions Twilight as a bit of a modern take on the story of Adam and Eve being tempted by forbidden fruit, which ties into the cover art of the book with the pale white arms holding a red apple. But who do we think the apple is? Is it Edward being tempted by Bella or Bella being tempted by Edward? Either way, it's going to end in death, apparently. So then we get to the preface, which is a little glimpse at the novel's climax. It's Bella being sure that she's going to die. So I guess the Bible quote, was about her and Edward is the forbidden fruit. So the first line is, i never given much thought to how I would die, though I'd had reason enough in the last few months. But even if I had, I would not have imagined it like this. Okay, so my memory is a little vague, but I'm guessing she is referring to the three wild vampires who want to kill her at the end of the book. How could she not have imagined that happening though? I mean, as soon as you discover vampires are real and that you've met some, wouldn't your first thought be, shit, I might be killed by them soon? This is our first hint at Bella being a complete dumbass. Then Bella says that it's noble to die in place of someone she loved. Shut up, Bella. I forgot how annoying she was. She says if she had never gone to Forks, she wouldn't be facing death right now, but she couldn't bring herself to regret this decision. I mean, are we meant to know what Forks is, firstly? And secondly, she's not regretting it even though she's about to die. Like, I can't with this bitch. Aside from establishing that Bella's an idiot, it's, it's not terrible writing in these first few paragraphs. Stephanie introduces the character of the smiling hunter moving, sauntering forward to kill Bella. It's enough of a hook to make you turn the next page. It also has you thinking, why is she so happy to be about to be killed? All right, now we have chapter one, First Sight. So straight away, Stephanie Meyer does that thing I hate where she describes everything in minute detail even though nobody really cares. Bella's mother drives her to the airport with the windows rolled down. It was 75 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. She was wearing a sleeveless white eyelet lace dress. She had a Parker for carry-on. Who cares? Right? Okay, no. She's establishing that it's cloudy in forks. Okay, so I'll allow that because... That's actually the major plot point of the whole entire novel. Uh, Spoiler alert if you haven't read it before, but in this universe, vampires can go into the direct sunlight, but then they become glittery, but not die. But cloudy days are fine. I know it makes no sense. It doesn't line up with any existing vampire lore, but sure, why not? She left a mark on the genre. She can do what she wants. But it does sort of seem like she just Googled what the cloudiest city in America is and Forks popped up and she said, all right, that'll do. So we get the backstory that she was born in Forks, which is just the worst place in America, apparently. And her mother escaped with her when she was just a few months old. But then she went and spent every... She spent every summer there for a month until she was about 14. And then she was like, hey, you know what? No, I can't do that. And then for three summers the past three summers, her and her dad, Charlie went to California for two weeks instead. So she's only seen her dad two weeks of the year for the past three years. And before that, just one month of the year. So that's, that's not a lot of father daughter time. And now she's like, oh, I've exiled myself to Forks, an action that, that I take with great horror because she detested Forks so much because she loves the sun in Phoenix. She loves that it's a big city. And then it's like, Uh, okay, hun, no one's forcing you to go to Forks. Like, you've just said it's your decision. Why are you being such a princess? And so her mum's been telling her, like a thousand times apparently, that she doesn't have to do this. And she's like, she gives this description of her mum that she says, my mum looks like me, except with short hair and laugh lines. And then she (laughs) she calls her a loving, erratic, hair mother and that she'll have to fend for herself and she's worried. And she's like, oh, of course, she's got a new boyfriend now, so the bills will probably get paid. What? 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 Like, she clearly doesn't think well of her mother. So it's like, okay, whatever. And then, and then Bella's like, I want to go. She lies. And she's like, I've always been a bad liar, but I've been saying this lie so frequently that it sounded almost convincing now. It's still not super clear why she's going in the first place. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'll see you soon. Um, Her mum's like, come home and visit me whenever you want. And she goes, but I could see the sacrifice in her eyes behind the promise. What? So like I can't remember what the mum's often doing, but the mum's like, come home and visit me whenever you want. I'll come right back as soon as you need me. So maybe she's going somewhere. I, I it seems it seems like Bella's torturing herself. Like she wants to torture herself by going to Fork's place she hates when clearly like she could have just stayed in Phoenix. Uh, is it just me? It could just be me. But okay. So she goes on the flight to Phoenix. I mean, she goes on the flight to Seattle. And then another smaller plane to Port Angeles and then an hour and then it's an hour drive back to Forks with her dad. Um, And she's really worried about the car ride with Charlie because it's going to be awkward. And like, it's your dad. Okay, calm down. Maybe if you'd seen him for longer than two weeks every year, it wouldn't be that bad. But also it's your choice to go to Forks. And he seems genuinely pleased that she's coming to live with him. And it's like, okay, yeah, he's your dad, I guess. I mean, everyone has a different home life, but she's really turning this into such a big drama. And he's already gotten her registered for school. Um, that's what it, that's what a parent does. Sorry, that's you're not special. But she's like, oh, it's going to be so awkward because neither of them were what anyone would call verbose. Okay, sure. Certainly seems verbose when she's describing everything in great detail, but all right, we'll give her that pass. But she's like, I knew he was a little bit more confused with my decision because I've always hated Forks. And I was like, why have you been such a bitch to Forks? You know what? You get an umbrella and you move on. So it's raining when she gets to Port Angeles and she didn't see it as an omen, just unavoidable. I'd already said my goodbyes to the sun. Oh boy. Okay. Yep. Yep. We're going to a cloudy place. That's what this is all about. So Charlie's waiting for her in the police car, which she was expecting because he's the police chief. Okay. She wants to buy a new car because she doesn't wanna be driven around in the cop car, which, okay, I'll give that to her. Fair enough, high school's tough. You don't wanna draw attention to yourself. Then she says, Charlie gave me an awkward one-armed hug when I stumbled my way off the plane. Already, we're establishing that Bella's clumsy. Uh, Because she's stumbling off of things And then her dad says It's good to see you Bells Which That's an odd nickname For someone who's called Bella Uh, Let's see if he ever says that again I don't know if that remains consistent And then he's like How's Renee? And she's like Mum's fine It's good to see you too Dad She says I wasn't allowed to call him Charlie to his face Well Yeah Okay He's your dad Be nice And she says, oh God, this line. Okay. I had only a few bags. Most of my Arizona clothes were too permeable for Washington. My mum and I had pulled our resources to supplement my winter wardrobe, but it was still scanty. It all fit easily into the trunk of the cruiser. Okay. Scanty? It was still scanty? Does she mean scant? Her Arizona clothes are too permeable for Washington? Uh, okay. It's a, uh, okay, I'm just going to have to allow these things to just blow past me. Okay, I just took a small break to Google scanty and it is a word, but I stand by the fact that it doesn't flow well in that sentence. Sorry. Then her and Charlie have a little conversation about how he's found a car for her to use. A good car, Apparently. And he says, oh, well, actually it's a truck. Um, and she says, where did you find it? And he says, it was from Billy Black down at La Push. And Bella narrates that La Push is the tiny Indian reservation on the coast. Okay, so we're saying Indian. I think we have all we all know better, but in, I guess 2005, maybe. We didn't know all know better, maybe. And then he says... You know him, we used to go fishing with him down during the summer. And she's like, oh, that explains why I don't remember him. I do a good job of blocking painful, unnecessary things from my memory. Wow. Your dad takes you fishing on on your summer break and you block it out because it's such a travesty for you. People are dying out there, Bella. And then anyway, she's like, oh, what year is the truck? And he's like, oh, he bought it in 1984. And then she's like, when did he buy it? was it new? And he's like, well, it might be from the fifties. And then she starts being a real bitch about it. And he's like, come on, Bella, it's fine. And she's like, all right, well, how cheap is it? And he's like, I kind of already bought it for you as a homecoming gift. And then she has the audacity in a new paragraph to say, wow, full stop, free, full stop, How about thank you, Bella? Jesus bloody Christ, the entitlement of it. My other favourite line in this little section is after Bella comes to terms with the truck and starts being thankful, she says, and I never looked a free truck in the mouth or engine. What the hell does that... I know that's an expression, right? I never looked a gift horse in the mouth. I never looked a free truck in the mouth Or engine, like, I guess she's trying to be, she's trying to be cute. I mean, maybe I laughed when I was 15, but, but God, that's dry, some dry ass humor. So then Bella's looking out the window while she's driving through the countryside. And she says that it's beautiful. Everything was green. The trees, their trunks covered with moss, their branches hanging with a canopy of it, the ground covered with ferns. Even the air filtered down greenly through the leaves. It was too green, an alien planet. So the air was green. Okay. And green is an alien thing? I mean, that's just nature, Bella. Nature. Nature. So they get to the house. She sees the truck. She's surprised that she loves it. Okay, that's good. That's some growth already after a few pages. And then she goes into the to the house. Uh, it only takes them one trip to put their bags in her bedroom because, again, none of the clothes were permeable um, or the opposite of scanty. And this line I just love because it really captures the time. It says how she's got a com- second-hand computer on her desk with the phone line for the modem stapled along the floor to the nearest phone jack. Oh, doesn't that take you back? What a simpler time. So then Charlie leaves Bella alone to have a bit of a, a, bit of a sook in her bedroom about having to go to Fawkes High School tomorrow. And she says, oh, this Stephanie Meyer does this thing where it's clear that she just had to get the word count up on the manuscript before she submitted it to the publisher. So she writes out all numbers like in full words. So she says that Forks High School had a frightening total of only 357, dash, now 58, dash, students, semicolon. There were more than 700 people in my junior class alone back home, and so she'd written out 700 people, 58. Students. That, that's, that sentence could have been, Fawkes High School wasn't very big. I <laughs> only had 357 students. But I, I digress. I'm not the best seller. Then she complains that all the kids had grown up together here, their grandparents had been toddlers together, and that she's the new girl from the big city, a curiosity, a freak. And I'm like, honey, you spent summers there f- for your whole childhood you just took a couple of years off. They know who your dad is. And the big city? Is Arizona the big city? Is that what we're calling it now? Not everything revolves around you, babe. And so, while Stephanie Meyer tends to over-describe everything, the one thing that I remember she never describes is Bella's appearance, because I guess she wants this blank slate, relatable canvas. So, Bella says that she doesn't even look like a girl from Phoenix should. She She doesn't have a tan. She's not sporty or blonde. Um, Instead, she's ivory skinned without even the excuse of blue eyes or red hair, despite the constant sunshine. And I love that line because sunshine doesn't (laughs) change the colour of people's eyes or change the colour of their hair. Like, you're born with red hair, sweetie. It doesn't matter if you live in Phoenix or if you live in shitty forks, like... That's not how that works. And then she says that she's always been slender, but soft somehow. Obviously not an athlete. Like, God, be nicer to yourself, Bella. Then she mopes a bit more about her pallid reflection in the mirror. um, And that she just doesn't have nice skin because she's too pale. Like, oh my God. And she says, I didn't relate well to people my age. Maybe the truth was that I didn't relate well to people, period. Well, that's actually going to turn out really well for you because you're about to meet an immortal vampire. So, things are looking up, Bells. So, the next day, Bella drives to the high school and she has this moment where she um, she's driving down the highway and she only notices where the school is because the sign saying Fawkes High School, um, because it doesn't look much like a high school. And there's actually this really darkly humorous line that she adds in, which, I mean, I've got to give it to her. It made me giggle. So she says, it looks like a collection of matching houses built with maroon colored bricks. There were so many trees and shrubs. I couldn't see its size at first. Where was the feel of the institution? I wondered nostalgically. Where were the chain link fences, the metal detectors? (laughs) I mean, She's actually like missing the metal detectors which you know in my perspective would be a sign of a intimidating school but god that's just a fresh fresh bit of dark humor there so thank you Stephanie for that The thing is Bella is such a pessimistic person she she notes that when she enters the high school it's brightly lit and warmer than she had hoped uh, she says the office is like a small little waiting area with padded folded chairs, orange flecked commercial carpet notices and awards cluttering the walls, a big clock ticking loudly plants grew everywhere in large plastic pots as if there wasn't enough greenery outside. <laughs> like people are allowed to have pot plants. Like, <laughs> Another example of this dark humor that she's, peppering into this first chapter which maybe I didn't notice on the first few reads when I was a teenager or I'm just seeing it now um is she takes a deep breath in in the car before she goes into the school again because she had to (laughs) okay I feel like I have to explain this so she she went into the reception office got a map got signed up and everything then she had to go back in the car and like drive around to a different part of the school to park and then go back in again Yeah. So she's in the car again. She takes a deep breath and she says like, I can do this. She lies to herself and she says, no one was going to bite me. I mean, that's funny because like we're talking about vampires here. And I, I mean, (laughs) I guess that's just the kind of humor that really, that really sticks with me or doesn't stick with me since I forgot all about it, but it sticks with me now. And I know I'm going to harp on this, a lot throughout this book and this whole saga, but she just uses so many damn words. So check out this paragraph. Once I got around the cafeteria, building three was easy to spot. A large black three was painted on a white square on the east corner. I felt my breathing gradually creeping toward hyperventilation as I approached the door. I tried holding my breath as I followed two unisex raincoats through the door. Okay, do we really need five lines describing how you found a building and walked through a door like let the reader imagine something something else that made me laugh um was that she she meets a new teacher Mr. Mason and he gives her the reading list for that year for English and she <laughs> And Bella says, it was fairly basic. Bronte, Shakespeare, Chaucer, Faulkner. I'd already read everything. And I was like, that's basic? Like, at my school, we were barely reading any Shakespeare. We would read like half of Julius Caesar in year eight um, and like watch Strictly Ballroom and the Matrix. Like, and we called it a day. I mean, we went to Chaucer in high school. Like, damn. Then she meets another student called Eric, and the way she describes him is so bitchy. Okay, so she says, when the bell rang, a nasal buzzing sound. Okay, we all know what a bell ring sounds like, but thanks. A gangly boy with skin problems and hair black as an oil slick leaned across the aisle to talk to me. <laughs> I mean, come on. And then <laughs> then she says he looks like the overly helpful chess club type. Like... You're in school worried about everyone judging you because of your reputation with your dad and your flighty mum and you're also judging everyone else. Eric's just trying to be nice to you and you're being such a bitch. And so then we just suffer through some more uh, description of the classes that she goes to, uh, like boring, and and I'm starting to think like, okay, we're, we're 21 pages in, like, are we going to get to it? And then she goes to the cafeteria, you guys. And that's when she sees him. Oh my God. So she says, it was there sitting in the lunchroom, trying to make conversation with seven curious strangers that I first saw them. And I bet you're thinking like them. Who's them? And she says, they were sitting in the corner of the cafeteria as far away from where I sat as possible in the long room. There were five of them. They weren't talking and they weren't eating, though they each had a tray of untouched food in front of them. So like at this point, the author's just saying like, uh, they're vampires. Remember vampires don't eat. You remember that, right? Like, like no one's reading this, not knowing that there's vampires involved. Like it's on the back of the book blurb, right? So she's just like, guys, 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 this is part of the (laughs) law. And then she starts describing them as all looking completely different. Like one's big and muscular, one's taller and leaner all of their hair like oh that's honey blonde that's got a golden hair she's she's skinny whereas the other ones really petite <laughs> like which doesn't make them sound that different at all but then she says but they were all exactly alike every one of them was chalky pale the palest of all the students living in this sunless town paler than me the albino <laughs> okay a couple of things we're not saying albino like that's that's offensive. We know better. Um, and second of all, like, hello, we're just saying, like, look, look, the pale, pretty people aren't eating food. Who do we think they could be? It's like hitting us over the head. And like, that's not even the worst of it. <laughs> then she says, they all had very dark eyes, despite the range in hair tones. <laughs> okay, They also had dark shadows under those eyes. Purplish bruise like shadows as if they were all suffering from a sleepless night <laughs> okay so just in case you didn't know vampires also sleep i guess in the day um although in this version of the books i remember that they don't sleep at all <sighs> which again i think like everyone who's ever written a vampire story has never said you know what we need a we need to jazz up vampire mythology let's Let's make them not only night owls, but let's have them be awake during the day as well. Like, like who's needing that? Like, in Buffy, they had some shut-eye. And we needed that because Buffy needed some shut-eye. Like, we need balance on this earth. And also... <laughs> Do people with different hair tones have different coloured eyes? Like, is that is that a scientific thing? I mean... It's been brought up a couple of times in the book so far, so I guess maybe it is and I missed it. Stephanie goes into more detail describing their faces, but we'll just spare you the details for that. Um, And that's when Bella asks this girl from her Spanish class, whose name she doesn't remember, she says, who are they? And she looks up and she's like, oh, she knows who she's talking about. Um, And then what happens is suddenly the boy, Edward, he, he looks at her for just a fraction of a second. And then his dark eyes flicker to Bella's. And, and Bella says, he looked away quickly, more quickly than I could. Though in a flush of embarrassment, I dropped my eyes at once. In that brief flash of a glance, his face held nothing of interest. It was as if she had called his name and he'd looked up in involuntary response, already having decided not to answer. So there's your hint that he's also a mind reader. Um... And her neighbour giggles in embarrassment. And that's when she says, oh, that's Edward, that's Emmett, that's Rosalie, that's Jasper, that's Alice. Um, They all live together with Dr. Cullen and his wife. So, like, yeah. How... The thing is, Bella's been staring at them for, what, like 15 minutes over lunch and just, like, obsessed with them being like, "God, they're all so beautiful, they're all so beautiful. And I'm like, how are these other students coping? Like there was like one attractive person in my high school and I'd find myself daydreaming looking at them. This is like six of them. How's anyone getting any work done? What are they doing in study hall? Then Bella muses that they all have strange, unpopular names, the kind of names grandparents had. And she thinks maybe that's what's in vogue in small towns, like small town names. (laughs) I guess we really want to make the point that they're They're ageless immortal vampires. Like that's that's what we want the reader to sort of figure out on their own by by really, really hinting at it quite strongly. And she's she's doing a great job of that. I mean Because to be fair to them, it's daylight. I know it's cloudy, but it's still daylight. You wouldn't expect you wouldn't expect vampires to be in a school in daylight. Or in a school with other human beings, without killing them. So, I guess I guess she does want to prove the point since she's obviously writing about non-vampire vampires because uh, uh, I got to let that go. <sighs> and then we have to suffer through some some sexual tension across the cafeteria where she's staring at Edward and Edward's staring at her but he looks frustrated um which I guess is because he can't read her mind. Uh but and she's like I don't know, she's a little turned on by his frustration, I guess. It's 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 all very complicated. And she's asking Jessica, she remembered her name, it's Jessica, about their backstory. And she's like, oh, that's Edward. He's gorgeous, of course, but don't waste your time. He doesn't date. Apparently, none of the girls here are good looking enough for him. She sniffed a clear case of sour grapes, which <laughs> is pretty funny. And then, that sour grapesness makes Bella smile, but she bites her lip to hide the fact that she's smiling. And, like, I know if you're listening to this, you can probably picture Christian Stewart doing that stupid bite lip thing. But, like, I'm trying to do it right now. So, like, try and... I invite you to try and smile and then bite your lip. I, like, it can't be done. Like, if you can bite your lip, you're not smiling. I, it's just like she wrote this and didn't even think about it. Again, maybe it's just me. And so then she she glances at Edward and then he turns away, but his cheek appeared lifted as if he was smiling too. Let rem- Let me remind you that she has already said she's sitting the furthest away in the cafeteria from them, from the long cafeteria. Like, how is she clocking this smile? She doesn't have superhuman vampire vision, but okay. Maybe she's reading into it, but she's she's smitten already, and boy, Bella, it should have taken a lot more than that to get you hooked. She then moves on to her next class, which is biology, and then she walks in and she's like, "Oh no, it's it's those science seats where you have to sit with a buddy, you know, science seats. I think that's a technical term." And she looks and oh, they're all filled except for the one next to Edward. Oh, here we go. So she's starts walking towards Edward to take the seat next to him. And that's when he has a little freak out. And so just as she passes, he suddenly goes rigid in his seat. And then he stares at her, meets her eyes with the strangest expression on his face, which was hostile and furious. And then she w- looks away all Shocked and going red in the face because that's her character trait. And then she stumbles over a book in the walkway <laughs> and has to catch herself on the edge of the table because, you know, being clumsy is her second character trait. And that's when she noticed that his eyes were black, coal black. But she's already said his hair is reddish brown, so I guess the hair eye situation maybe. Maybe there is something to think about there. So she sits next to him, and then he he leans away from her, um, and she can't understand why he's being so antagonistic, and <laughs> averting his face like he smelled something bad. <laughs> so then, so then Bella inconspicuously sniffs her own hair and thinks it smells like strawberries. <laughs> Again, I don't know how you inconspicuously sniff your own hair, but <laughs> it's so funny that she thinks that he thinks she stinks. <laughs> oh God, this is a funnier book than I remembered. So Edward sits there next to her throughout the whole class with like his his fists tightened and <laughs> and she even says that it looks like he's holding his breath the whole time. <laughs> like... Hello, vampires don't breathe. There's your there's your fifth and final hint. The bell rings and then Edward gaps it. He just gets out of there. And then Bella's like, that's so mean. She's like, he's so mean it wasn't fair. And then she's feeling really angry and worried that she's going to cry. Because <laughs> she says she usually cried when she was angry, which was a humiliating tendency. Okay. Nowhere in that 40 minute class, I assume 40 minutes or an hour, whatever. She didn't even say hi. She didn't say, oh, hi, I'm Bella. Why do you look so pissed? Like just a little, a little bit of backbone, a little bit of gumption. And she would have felt better about herself. Mug my words. She then meets Mike. And he walks her to the next class, which is Jim. And I'm just thinking, like, how many classes is there in this day? And did we really need the rundown on each and every single one of them? Just had to meet that word count. Anyway, Mike says to her, So like, what what's the deal with Edward Cullen? Did you stab him with a pencil or something? I've never seen him act like that. And then Bella's like, oh no. So it's so it's not his usual behaviour. And so then she's like, what's wrong with me? Blah, blah, blah. But she tries to pass it off like she doesn't know who Mike's talking about. And she's like, oh, do you mean that guy I sat next to in biology? (laughs) Yeah, bitch. The one you've been asking everyone about and obsessing over for the past hour and a half. Her gym teacher is called Coach Clap. (laughs) Clap, like C-L-A-P-P. Like, I don't know why I find that funny, but what a great name. Um, Jim's pretty boring. She doesn't like sport because she always injures herself. Like, uh, uh, ah, we get that. Um, The final bell rings and she walks to the office to return her paperwork. I don't know why she has to return her paperwork. I don't know why she's walking there when before she had to drive there and then drive away, but okay. And then she gets to the office and there's Edward again, because she recognizes him by the tussled bronze hair. He appears to not notice the sound of her entrance, even though he's got super hearing and obviously could probably smell her a mile away downwind. But, okay, that's... We're not going to have consistency with his powers. So, that's fine. It's fine. So, what's happening is he's arguing with her in a low, attractive voice. (laughs) God, this is a funny book. So I guess that's Bella thinking it's attractive, but it's also probably Edward trying to woo the lady because, I mean, he's Edward Cullen, and an adult female will surely be able to be flirted with by a high school teenager. So she picks up the gist of the argument. He's trying to get away from six-hour biology and move it to a different biology time slot. I feel like I know more about her daily timetable than I should. So I can remember in Harry Potter when they would get their timetable and they'd talk about their timetables over breakfast and they'd be like, I've got care of magical creatures with Slytherin. Like I found that fascinating, but this I'm not feeling, I don't know, maybe because it's biology and, and trigonometry and it's boring. If they were going to Quidditch or something, then maybe, yeah, that would be interesting. Anyway. Okay. I spoke too soon about his sense of smell because what happens is She's standing up the back of the wall. The door opens, unsure who opened the door, but the door opens and then the cold wind gusts through the room, rustling the papers on the desk and swirling Bella's strawberry-flavoured hair around her face. And so when, when the door opens and then her hair blows around, that's when Edward's back stiffens and he turns slowly to glare at her. His face was absurdly handsome. She's <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the line. But Edward Cullen's back stiffened and he turned slowly to glare at me. His face was absurdly handsome with piercing hate-filled eyes. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> She's describing how he clearly hates her and he has a look of repulsion, but he's really handsome. Then Edward's like, never mind. And he walks out and she goes back to the desk Her face white for once instead of red. I tell you what, this Bella blushes more than is normal. I don't know, I'm not a pale girl, so I don't know. But she's a blusher. And the receptionist is like, how did your first day go, dear? And she goes, fine, she lies. So she goes back into a truck, which seems like a haven the closest thing to home I had in this damp green hole, she says she has a real home, but okay, I get the that that could be a little metaphor for her, and she says she was cold enough to need the heater, <laughs> okay, so she turns the heater on the engine rules to life, she heads back to Charlie's house, fighting tears the whole way there. Mercifully, we aren't described a description of her driving down the highway back to Charlie's house. We end the chapter there. What a chapter you guys. So what happened? She flew into Forks. She gets up the next day, goes to school. By the way, wouldn't you fly in on like the Saturday to give yourself the Sunday to unpack and relax before going to school on the Monday? I mean, that's just me. That's just common sense, uh or even the Friday night, come down the Friday night, have the weekend. no one wants to no one wants to get up and go the exact next day to go to school, but okay, thank God she didn't, otherwise we would have heard every every moment of a day. so she goes to school, boring, 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 oh my God, she meets Edward Cullen. that's when things get interesting, and he hates the guts, and she doesn't know why. so that's first sight, chapter one. Next chapter is number two, open book. Can't remember what that's about. So I'm really interested to read it and find out. So thank you a lot for listening. Uh, If you have any comments or thoughts, if you want to call out any mistakes I've made, perhaps in regards to the link between eye colour and hair colour, please send me an email at breakingdownpod at gmail.com or you can tweet us at podbreakingdown on Twitter. I'd be really interested to know if you were enthralled, enthralled through that because it was a bit of a slog for me. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to Breaking Down. See you next week.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,